0: Matt Friedman works to end sex trafficking. He's worked with various U.N. agencies tackling the issue and is now with the counter-trafficking organization Liberty Asia. Matt Friedman is based in Bangkok. He says police corruption is a problem in many Asian countries.
1: In some areas, you have law enforcement that not only are uh, taking uh, bribes to not do anything, they are sometimes the owners of the, the businesses themselves. What drives actually the trafficking between Vietnam into
0: China and Cambodia?
1: Well, part of the reason why trafficking happens from one country to the other is that you can disorient a person and put them into a situation where they don't have an understanding of the culture or the environment. They don't speak the same language. And as a result, if they try to run away, they have nobody to talk to. And oftentimes the authorities will kind of pick the person up and put them into an immigration Uh, Location and then send them back, so it kind of covers the uh, the traffickers themselves. So you're talking about government immigration officials? They're seeing this stuff happening before their
0: eyes and they don't take any action.
1: Well, actually, uh, interestingly, the government of China has uh, been a lot more proactive in recent years in terms of having what they called uh, uh, China Storm, which is an effort to kind of train law enforcement to go in and be sympathetic to these types of cases and to then go through a process and a procedure to rescue people and then get them home. Right. So what's the Vietnamese government doing to respond to this uh, tragic situation? Well, the Vietnamese government is involved in kind of an alliance called COMMIT that brings all of the six Mekong countries from Southeast Asia together. This includes China, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and Myanmar. And basically what they try to do is to have bilateral agreements between China and themselves, between Cambodia and themselves, and other kind of related countries to see whether or not they can develop systems that would allow for both governments to talk to each other when these cases come up. And in Asia, I'm
0: told that 80% of human trafficking cases involve labor trafficking. But some of the worst examples of exploitation take place in brothels, nail salons, massage parlors. How do you go about kind of doing the triage of human trafficking abuses?
1: Well, I think that the figures that we would use would be the ILO ones. It's about 75% in forced labor there's eleven point seven million people in what would be identified as forced labor, which we we would say also is a is a form of a trafficking about four point five million people around the world that would be in uh, forced prostitution for the most part when it comes to the sex industry, law enforcement is often better equipped to kind of go after the criminals associated with that, whereas in the forced labor, the private sector has to take some responsibility for identifying a role in the fact that a certain number of these uh, companies that are like sweatshops and so forth feed into supply chains that result in eventually us getting uh, jeans or electronics or telephones that that have some associated with forced labor-type conditions. So just understanding that that exists uh, and getting the private sector to ensure that these slavery-type situations aren't in place needs to be kind of one of the things that we really have to focus on.
0: Matt Friedman, a sex trafficking expert based in Bangkok. I asked him, by the way, how he got involved in counter-trafficking.
1: I was a public health person, and I was uh, in Nepal and hearing of all these young girls that were 13 to 15 years old that were HIV positive. So started going to the shelters and asking them uh, what happened, and I kept hearing horrific story after horrific story. Often the traffickers would go all the way into the villages, sometimes marry the girl, say they're going to take them back to Kathmandu, Instead, they take them to Mumbai, they put them in a room, and they say, honey, I'll be back in a few minutes. They go off, and they get their money and go back to Nepal, and then the madam comes in and says, oh, my gosh, uh, guess what? Your husband just showed you to me, and you're going to prostitute yourself uh, seven to ten guys a day, uh, seven days a week, and you're going to do what I say. Her response is, well, I'm a good Hindu girl. I'm not going to do that. I'll kill myself. The madam goes back and says, well, if you do that, basically, I'm going to go and kill your family or something like that to Mm -hmm. tie her into it. They then bring in professional rapists. They'll rape her over and over and over again to break her will, and then she's put on the line. For me, I heard these stories over and over again, but it wasn't until I actually went to Mumbai. I was uh, asked to kind of do some public health checks in the brothels. I was with a police officer. A young 11-year-old traffic victim saw me, literally ran up to me and wrapped herself around me and said, save me, save me. You know, I looked down at this girl. She was a child wearing a dress that was five sizes too big. I looked at the police officer and said, "Okay, we're taking her out. He said, no, you're not. They'll kill us before they'll let us go. So to make a long story short, we left, came back, and she was obviously gone. We lost her. For me, that was my big test as a person who should have found a way of getting her out of there. I wasn't able to. I failed miserably. And from that point on, an activist was born. Matt Friedman, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much.